Father God, we come to praise you and you alone because you alone are worthy. And so, God, we pray that in this moment, your praise will echo out from this building, that your praise would echo out from the place wherever they are joining us online, from homes and hotels and cars and wherever we may be. God, may your praise echo from your people. And God, we thank you that you have invited us and allowed us into your mission to advance your kingdom. And we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done here on earth, all over the earth, as your praise rings out. God, we come to meet with you now. So teach us and lead us by your word, by your truth, by your activity in this world, God. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. And have a seat. So we spent over 20 years in prison. The winters there were especially tough. They were long, cold, miserable, unforgiving. If ever there was heat in his prison cell, it was minimal during those times. Starvation was a regular tactic for torture used by the prison guards right along with hard, hard labor that beat his body up and the occasional beating. His crime, why he spent so long in prison, he told people about Jesus. He was a preacher. And when the communist authorities in China came to arrest him for breaking the law by preaching Jesus, he encouraged his church members to scatter and flee so that they could still carry the good news to others. It's not distant history. I wish I could tell you this happened way in the past, but it hasn't. It's current. It's happening still now. And I wish I could tell you that's the only place, but it's not. The the church in China continues to advance, but most of those church gatherings in China are small and scattered to avoid persecution, to avoid arrest. Because unless you are a state-sanctioned, a government-sanctioned religious group, you can't meet there. It's illegal. And like I said, I wish I could tell you that was the only place, but China is just one of many countries, many places around the world where it is dangerous and illegal, even deadly, to follow Jesus. And yet, despite all these challenges, the church in China continues to grow in advance. By most accounts, the church in China numbers about 100 million Christians. That's a good thing, church. In fact, to put that in perspective, if all of those Christians, all those Jesus followers in China were to band together and form their own separate nation, their own country, they would rank 15th in population amongst countries in the world. Out of nearly 200 countries, the believers in China alone would be ahead of 185 other nations by population. That's a pretty remarkable thing. Seems like the church is doing well there in China. But the challenge with this is that numbers can be deceptive. Stats can throw off our perspective. Because China has about 1.4 billion people. 
billion with a B. There's 1.4 billion people living in China, which means that there's still 1.3 billion people in that nation alone who are unreached, who need the hope of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of work yet to be done. It's one of the most unreached places on the planet. But it makes us wonder, doesn't it? Like, how did it begin? How did the gospel get there in the first place? Well, the history geek in me is going to tell you. (laughs) Back in the middle of the 1800s, around 1850, China had been a closed nation to trade with other places. It finally opened up its borders to begin trading with the Western world, with Europe and the Americas. And so when China began trading with us, missionaries were amongst some of the first people to set foot on the Chinese soil from America and from Britain. But unfortunately, those early mission efforts, those early ministry efforts were less than stellar. One of the problems was something we still have to contend with today, something we should still be cautious of, whether we're going across a street or we're going across the globe. It's that those early missionaries were as focused on changing culture and, and embedding their culture into the Chinese people as they were about sharing the gospel with those people. It, it can still happen today. And that's one of the things we have to watch out for. You know, culture is largely neutral, but the, the efforts of some of those early missionaries to China and other places in the world was, hey, let's get them to dress like we dress and talk like we talk, use the language we use. Let's get them to look like we look and cut their hair like we cut our hair and, and wear our clothing and, and let's get them to eat our foods. Let's get them to, to look like us. And so the, the challenge was really, as some missionaries today would put it, Their goal was, let's get those people to stop sinning like they do. And let's get them to start sinning like we do. (laughs) That's kind of the problem when we go in trying to just radically change culture. And and we see the effects of this. Well-intentioned, but a little off kilter. I've been privileged to do some missions work in several places, uh, equatorial locations, places around the equator. And that's often a hot place and so you know several different locations some of the hottest places on the planet it gets very warm there and and many of those places are poverty stricken and yet you go to a poverty stricken place without air conditioning a very hot humid climate and on sunday morning when they go to church the expectation is you're going to wear a suit and tie and i got nothing against suit and ties i just think it odd that that was not the original Dress the original, you know, clothing of those cultures. And so they've embodied this from missionaries long ago that you got to wear a suit and tie to church. And so when I go there, we have to fit in. And so wearing a suit and tie is not always the most comfortable for me. And I just going to let you know, a little secret, I sweat a lot. And so to go to a church without air conditioning in a very hot place, and I think maybe our missionaries missed something back in the day. <laughs> Tough to focus on the preacher when you're trying not to just sweat to death in the service, right? I mean, look around. We got some suits and ties, and that's great, but that's not the norm for us, yet in these other places it is. It's the ongoing lingering effects of well-intentioned missionaries who may have missed a little bit. So in 1853, when a young man named Hudson Taylor from Britain stepped foot on Chinese soil... Things were a little different. 
See, Taylor had spent his previous few years learning all about the Chinese culture. He learned their language, began translating the Bible into the Chinese language. He uh, was learning all things about China and, and studying them. And so when he got to China, Hudson Taylor steps in and, and immediately was an outcast to all the other missionaries. They kind of disowned him. And he didn't just focus on the poor areas and he just didn't focus on Western uh, trade goods and how we could, you know, get in good with these people so we could increase our financial, uh, you know, status around the world for our country. No, he went to the interior of the country to actually affect lives for the gospel. But, but other missionaries disowned him because when, when Taylor got there, Hudson's whole point was he knew if, if I'm going to affect change in these people. I I can't get them to look like me. I got to get them to look like Jesus, to to live and to love like Jesus would. And he knew to do that, he, he couldn't just push against their culture, but he had to embrace those neutral elements of it. So he began speaking their language. He began eating their food. He began wearing their clothing. He even cut his hair to look like the Chinese culture, that the pigtail is shaved top of the head and a long ponytail in the back. And some others said, well, that's not Christian. He said, it's not not Christian. That's not gospel. And so over the next several decades, Hudson Taylor spent nearly 50 years on the ground in China doing mission for God. He recruited hundreds of other missionaries to the cause. When his own mission agency could not continue to support him early in the time, he just began praying, God provide, and he did. And so Taylor recruited hundreds of people to the mission field, and he affected change. He shared the gospel with thousands, if not millions, of people in China. And historians, secular historians, as well as Christian historians, would tell you it's because of the efforts of Hudson Taylor and those like him. That the gospel took root in China. That's why the church continues to grow and flourish and thrive there even still to this day. 100 million believers to the legacy. What a beautiful thing. What an awesome thing. And we should celebrate that church. It is good for us to celebrate the good work that good people have done to share the good news all over the globe. And it's good for us to look at that. I mean, after all, that's what the Apostle Paul, a missionary himself, a leader in the early church, that's what he was saying to the Jesus followers in the city of Colossae. He said, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. And it was spreading around the world then. It spreads even further around the world now. He says, it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives. From the first day you heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Friends, isn't that how missions works? We encounter the good news of Jesus and we got to tell other people about it. Listen, I'm a fan of good food. I'm a fan of good sweets. When when I eat at a restaurant that's really good and they treat me well, I'm going to tell my buddies about it. When I get ice cream at a spot like Earlers or or uh, Graters, I want other, other people to know, like, man, they got some good grub there. Like, you need to go there. When people come in to visit, we take them to our favorite spots. We like to brag on them. When I see a good movie, I want other people to go watch that movie because I want to share the good news. How much more so do we do that with the gospel? 
When Jesus changes our lives, when we realize I was distant from God because I'm a rebellious sinner. But Jesus came and he closed the gap. The, the, the sacrifice, the demands that my sin makes that I couldn't pay, Jesus paid for me. And he brought me near to God because I couldn't do that on my own. Because I'm not good enough. Because I couldn't earn it. But Jesus is more than enough. And so he has brought me hope, and he has brought me life, and he has brought me grace, and mercy, and freedom, and forgiveness, and joy, and peace. And man, I just want to tell everybody about it, right? That's missions, church. That's what we do. Yeah. I mean, that's how it works. That's why we go on mission, whether it's across the street, or across the nation, or across the globe. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, the good news you heard, it's going out. So church, the good news is going out from this place. And if you've been with us for a while, and I've only been here a few years, and some of these missions that we support date way before me. So I just want to remind some of you of how the good news is going out from this church. And if you're new to us or newer to us, I want to let you know what God is up to here. Because this church has a beautiful history and legacy of partnering around the globe and around the nation to make sure the gospel continues to go forward. So one of the people we partner with is Michael Householder and his ministry, Global Church Growth. Michael works in a discipleship endeavor to help churches and church leaders and missions organizations, not just get people to go to church, but to get them to follow Jesus, to become disciples who make disciples, who live on mission for Christ. And he trains up church leaders all over the world. He has worked with the Native American population, one of the least reached people groups on the planet. He's worked in communist countries, working with churches to grow and strengthen those churches in places where he could be arrested just for being a Christian. And he is now, currently, as we speak, working with some pastors over in Uganda and in Africa, helping grow the church there and move ministry forward in those places. Not just saying, hey, we need to get Christians from America to go, but let's train up the Christians who are already there on how to reach their own people. An indigenous, native kind of thing. And it's beautiful work. You know, one of our strongest mission partners throughout the years has been Lifeline Christian Mission. And Lifeline, we support in general. Lifeline does great work all over the world. But the bulk of our engagement with Lifeline has been in Honduras. And the bulk of what we do with our partnership with them in Honduras has been in the area, the town of Ocotillo. It's a little village there. And in Ocotillo, there's a clinic, a health clinic, there's a school, there's a church. And we want to radically change the spiritual landscape of that community by bringing hope and healing and health in every category to that town. And so we partner with a school there. And some of you know that back in the day, you could partner one-on-one with a child. You do partnership individual to individual. But a few years back, about the time I came here, They changed that to what's called the Together Program because they realized that some of those kids were being treated way better than others. And there were some kids who didn't have a sponsor and they kind of felt left out or they felt minimized. They didn't feel like God loved them as much. They didn't want that to happen. So in the Together Program, when you sponsor that school, you sponsor all the kids in that school. You'll sponsor all the kids in that class. So nobody can say, well, God loves me more or God doesn't love me as much. No, they're treated equally. So all those kids find hope and healing through our partnership. And and being part of the Together program, we still have several families in this church and several individuals who are partnered with that. But I'll say, we don't have enough. 
And you can find more info on the Together program through the Lifeline website, lifeline.org, or even out in our lobby at our missions table. It's right out these main doors after service. And I encourage you to partner with them. Now, there's all kinds of ways you can partner with the ministry of Lifeline down in Honduras or around the world. You can partner as an individual. You can partner as a, as a family. You can partner as a small group. You can go on mission. You can become a Together sponsor. You can go over to the, uh, the Lifeline uh, meal packing center here in Louisville. It's over on Ruck Regal Road, which is just a fun road to say, especially for a kid who had a speech impediment when he was a kid. And I would have said Ruck Regal, but now it's Ruck Regal and it's fun. And because of that, you're going to remember where it is, right? Your pastor's goofy. Now you know where it is. Go over there. You can pack meals for people in Honduras. You can pack meals for people all over the world. And so I encourage you to get involved and engage and do that. And there's so many ways to do that. In 2023, we're going we're gonna to restart, rekindle a partnership that we used to have with Go Ministries. Go Ministries serves mainly in the Dominican Republic, planning churches and ministering to the needs of children. They have phenomenal facilities they've built there over the years to reach that nation and those children for Jesus. And our students used to partner with Go Ministries, and over the years that dwindled and kind of just went kaput. But one of the things I love about our new student minister, Tyler Basso, was one of the things that impressed me when I was interviewing him, was how in 2021 he spent the summer on mission with Go Ministries in the Dominican Republic, ministering to the needs of young people. And he has a heart for the lost wherever they are. He has a heart for missions, and he has a desire to see our students gain that same kind of heart, gain a passion for the lost all over the world, and to engage our students in world missions. And so in 2023, Tyler will be leading a student mission trip to Go Ministries to help introduce some of our students, our middle school and high school kids, to world missions. Church, that's a really good thing. And I hope that, yeah, that's worth clapping for. And I hope that when that happens, as you learn more of that trip, as you learn of needs that may arise, that you would come alongside and help meet some of those needs to send those students on mission. Because I believe God is raising up a new generation for that. Another one of our longtime strong ministry partners is Team Expansion. And Team Expansion sends missionaries and does mission work all over the globe. And we... we partner with them uh, in kind of a generic sense of all that they're doing, but we also support some missionaries specifically. I can't tell you some of their names or where they go because we keep some of that info a little more classified because they go to some very dangerous places. But I can tell you one of the beautiful things we do, our own Betty Bird, who once was a missionary overseas, now serves in their home office, Team Expansion, located right here in Louisville. She serves in the home office working with the, the operations side and especially with the uh, prayer side. And if you've ever needed prayer, let me just tell you, you ask her to pray for you, you're going to find a very specific direct line to the Lord through her. She is just a woman who knows how to pray and prays beautifully. And she prays for our church. And man, I'm glad she does. But she just has this beautiful heart. She's a beautiful soul. And so we support her in her role there. We support some other uh, missionaries specifically through Team Expansion. And I want to let you know that in recent seasons and continuing forward, our strategic focus with Team Expansion is focused on sending missionaries to the Islamic world. So that 
Muslims can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and be led from spiritual darkness into the light of Jesus. And so we're sending people into some of the most dangerous areas, places in, um, in South and East Asia, where it's illegal, dangerous, and deadly to be a Christian. So we continue to send uh, missionaries there. Restoration House Ministry has also been one of our longtime ministry partners. Restoration House Ministry uh, focused on planting churches and Christian organizations and campus ministries in the New England area, one of the least reached areas of our nation, one of the most populous places of our nation, and yet very far from God. And they've established churches up there throughout the years, but within the last couple of years, Restoration House partnered with Orchard Group. And so Orchard Group is a church establishing ministry, and that's the parent ministry now. So they're the broad umbrella, and Restoration House has come along under them as kind of the New England arm, the New England branch of Orchard Group. And so we are now partnering with Orchard Group. It's a great ministry. And they don't just plant churches, they establish churches. They want to make sure that church will last. And they have a better than 99% track record of making sure their churches are established. And so on the horizon for us, just to let you know some good things that are coming on the horizon for us, is a potential church plant with them. And the places they plant church and establish them requires a lot of the churches that partner. A lot of energy, it'll involve some of our staff and our elders, and it'll involve some of our resources to help make sure that church gets not just planted, but established for the long term. And Orchard Group does their homework. The way they go after it is they know that our world is becoming increasingly urban and less rural. And so as people move from the small towns and villages and rural settings to the urban centers, they get ahead of the game and look at where those people are coming to, and they plant churches there because there's an influx of people and an influx of people who don't know Jesus, and there's oftentimes a a vacancy of churches, of thriving, healthy churches. So they plant and establish healthy churches that can meet the needs of that area and who can introduce people to Jesus. And so we are exploring a partnership in a major metropolitan area with Orchard Group that we will be partnered up with for a while. As more info comes available, we will definitely, obviously, let you know about that. Now, we also have partnerships with places, uh, people like CY and Patricia Kim with CRAM Ministries. This might be my favorite of the acronyms. We just cram it. We're just going to cram it. And this is Christ Reaching Asia Mission. And they do missions at some of the most dangerous places in the world, places that are so far from Christ. Places like China and North Korea, Cambodia, Russia, Laos, Vietnam. I mean, just think about what you hear on the news from North Korea. It's dangerous just to be an average citizen in North Korea, let alone one who might claim Christ. And they send people in underground, undercover, to minister the hope of Jesus to people who are far from him. We support ministries like Kogoshima Christian Mission over in Japan with Walter and Mary Maxey. Uh, helping strengthen churches that are established there and plant new churches and grow those churches and lead people there to find Jesus and find hope in him. We partner with uh, uh, Jerry and Alita Kennedy with International Mission Fund. They were here just a, a few months ago and shared with us from the platform up here. And they're doing a great work in South Africa. 
So we continue our partnership with some of these. But I also want to let you know of a ministry that we are exploring a partnership with. So friends, we believe that the word of God is powerful. And and that through the Bible, we can encounter the person of Jesus and find new life in him. But there are 2,200 people groups around the world that don't currently have the Bible in their language. You think about how many different translations of the Bible you can find in English. Get on your Bible Gateway app and and just look through, find find your Bible app on your phone, and you just scroll through all the different English translations. And there are over 2,000 people groups, not just people, but groups of people who don't even have the Bible at all in their language. And of the other groups that do have the Bible in their language, it's only a partial translation. And so we want to partner with a ministry that is translating the Word of God into the language, the indigenous language of people, to help them encounter Christ. And not just to put a Bible in their hands, but to use the Bible to help them find Jesus so they can follow Jesus for the remainder of their days and experience all the beauty of life with him. So as more info becomes solidified on that, we will definitely let you know. But here's one of the reasons why that's so important. Because in the coming years, we are shifting our focus, not exclusively, but primarily to the unreached, unengaged people and places in this world. Here's what that means. It means there are over 7,000 people groups that have never been reached with the gospel of Jesus. 7,000 groups of people who've never encountered the gospel. And we believe that everyone, everywhere needs to hear the good news. And we want to send people to share the good news, whether it's across the street or across the globe. But we definitely want to make sure that there are groups of people who can encounter the Bible. And there are some that currently can't. We've got a map to show you. This is the geography geek in me. So every dot represents 50,000 people. And you'll notice that in some places, the dots are so close together, it's, you can't even tell they're dots. It's just all colored in. So the blue represents where Christians live. The red represents unchurched, unengaged, non-Christian people. So wherever there's a blue dot, there's at least 50,000 believers. Wherever there's a red dot, there's not. There's 50,000 unreached people. That means for every 8 out of 10 people who don't know Jesus, there's no one in their culture who can tell them about it. There's no church that they can go to because there's no person living in their town who knows Jesus because no missionary has made their way there to introduce Jesus to that culture. Think about here in the United States, where we live, most people in our country have some proximity to somebody who at least goes to church or follows Jesus, who can tell them about Jesus. Now, whether we do tell them or not, that's on us, but at least there's that possibility. But in so many of these places, they don't even have that possibility. And so let me show you another map of where our missionaries go. Every red dot represents 50,000 unreached people. Every purple dot represents just 10 missionaries. That means wherever you see red, there are not even 10 missionaries for 50,000 people. Let me say this another way. This is why it's important. There are 3.2 billion people on this planet 
who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two out of every five people walking on earth right now have not even heard the gospel, let alone have the opportunity to respond to it. And part of that is because there's no one there to tell them. So how can they hear unless someone tells them? And I believe God is raising up a whole new generation of people to go into some of the hardest places and do the hard work of bringing his good news to people who are far from him. And church, that means for us, it's not enough that we just celebrate what God has done in the past. It's not enough that we celebrate the good work of people like like Hudson Taylor and others like him who would go into an unreached place boldly taking the gospel there. It's not enough for us to look back at our own church and say six and a half decades ago, we had these people who chartered a church. It's not enough for us to look back at what has happened in previous generations. We must continue the work that they've done and charge forward. We have to continue going to the uncharted waters to take the gospel to people who are far from God. And that rests upon us. And this is why your giving is so vitally important. Because when you give to Oklahoma Christian Church... You don't just support ministries here in our building. You don't just support ministry to our community or even across our nation. You support ministry all over the globe to make sure the gospel is advancing everywhere. So church, for those of you who are generous, thank you. But for all of us, for all of us, let's dial it up a notch. Just turn that dial up one more notch to help make sure that the people who are far from God don't remain that way. I think we all need to ask, what little can I give up to make such a great, great impact for the kingdom message? But church, let me tell you, it's not enough for us just to be a supporting church. That's important. We have to financially support the missionaries all over this world. But it's not enough to be a supporting church. We must also be a sending church, a church that goes on mission with God. In Acts chapter 1, Luke, the early church historian, records these some of the last words from Jesus. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And we see God's heart for the nations right there, that all people all over the globe would find out about Jesus and come to know him. That regardless of language or location... That every tribe, that every people group, that every ethnos, every ethnicity would come to know that black, brown, and white would all encounter the hope of Jesus and realize we've rebelled against him. We've rebelled against the king, but he's a good king. And if we surrender to him, he'll welcome us into the kingdom and not just allow us in, but he'll give us a seat at the banquet table. And that's beautiful news and that's good news. And Jesus tells them that we will be his witnesses. And he doesn't just say that to the early church. He says that to us. He says it to you. And he says it to you. And he says it to you. And he says it to you online. And you also online. And you driving in your car listening to this. He says it to you. You can't see me pointing at you, but I am. And he says it to me. He says it to all of us. That we will be his witnesses. So what does it mean to be a witness? Well, that word in the Greek is martus. It's where we get our word martyr. And I know some of you, as soon as you hear that, you're thinking, oh, awesome, great. So I get to move to some foreign land and die for Jesus. Great, sign me up. I'll live for that. Like, no, not exactly what it means. We talk about martyrs who've died. But the emphasis is not on their death. The emphasis is on their faithfulness to the very end, whatever that end looked like. To be a witness for Jesus is to be faithful to the very end. 
And so how do we do that? It means we faithfully bear witness to what Jesus has done in our lives. It's just what we said a few minutes ago. That we can't help but tell people about the hope that we found in Jesus. About the joy that we found in Jesus. About the life we found in Jesus. So we go and we bear witness to it. This is what Jesus has done for me. How he's changed me. How he's given me a new life. And we take it to everyone everywhere. So a few years ago, there's a gal in our church who... She knew about missions, she'd seen missions, she'd gone on mission, but at this particular moment, she encountered the spiritual poverty of a, of people in another nation in a way different than she ever had before. And it gripped her, like it got into her. And, and she was talking to her friend, and she told her friend, she said, why is this somebody doing something? Why, why doesn't someone go? Why doesn't someone help? Why, why isn't anyone doing anything about this? And isn't it funny how that's our human nature we always want to ask, why isn't someone else? Why isn't somebody else finishing the mission? And at that moment, as she wondered aloud to her friend, her friend just looked at her and this gal realized, oh, I am that somebody, aren't I? I can't outsource this one. And she didn't know in that moment what it would mean for her. She just knew she had to be obedient to the burden that God had put upon her. Well, that, that obedience to the burden eventually became the birth of a mission organization that she leads with her husband. And now she and her husband every year lead several mission trips all over the world, helping people in spiritual poverty find hope in Jesus. Actually, right now, they're on the other side of the globe with about 10 other people from our church. And Mark mentioned earlier, Just in one of those days, 50 people came to know Christ. Now, I wish I could tell you a lot more about that trip, that mission, those people, but this is live, and I don't want to endanger and jeopardize those friends of mine, nor their trip. So I'm going to pull a Forrest Gump, and that's all I got to say about that. But I will tell you, in April of 23, this coming year, we're going to send a team down to Honduras primarily focused on medical dental vision ministry there not exclusively focused on that and you don't have to know anything about that but if you're interested at all i encourage you there's information at the table right out these doors I encourage you to sign up for that trip to to just show interest in it you go down for about a week and you'll help people who are far from god draw a little bit closer you might even help some of them begin to walk with them now wouldn't it be cool if we had so much interest. We can only take 20 people on that trip. Wouldn't it be great if we had so much interest that we got to have another trip? Maybe April's a bad time for you. Maybe summer or fall or winter would be a better time. Wouldn't it be great if we had to launch like two or three or four more other trips to go down there? Maybe we, we had enough interest that we sent some teams to other places in the world to go encourage our missionaries in other spots. Isn't that what it should look like? Church, shouldn't that happen? And I believe God wants us to be a sending church where every year we're sending multiple teams to multiple places that our students are going, that our adults are going, and that we're coming back and we're taking what we encounter from the mission field and we're living it out here every day in our area too. But I believe that God's not just calling some of us to go short term. I believe that God is calling some of you to go and to live maybe among a different people group, maybe in a different place. And I don't know what that means for you. And some of you are terrified by that. And some of you 
I've just confirmed what you've been wrestling with for a while. And for some of you, I just planted a seed that God's going to grow into something beautiful. Because I believe God wants to raise up a new generation to go. So let me just leave you with this, friend. Where is God leading you to go on mission with him? Where is God leading you to go on mission with him? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you did not resist the mission to go to a different place that was not nearly as comfortable or nearly as safe. But Jesus, you came on mission for us and you left the most beautiful place we could ever imagine to enter into a place that was dirty and harmful, inconvenient and uncomfortable. And you, Lord, you are faithful to the very end for us. Faithful all the way to a cross so that we could be near to you. But God, we see by your power that overcame the grave that there is hope for us. So God, we want your Holy Spirit power in us to transform us into the kind of people who would not be so enamored by the comforts of our world that we would miss out on your mission. Oh God, will we go where you send? Will we do as you say? And may we discover that that is the best and most beautiful and most life-giving thing for us. Oh God, raise us up and send us out. And God, may you find all the glory and all the honor and all the praise from all that we do. And we pray this that the world might know that you and you alone are king and good and God. Amen.